Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. If you're old enough, you have probably seen the Bill Murray movie, Groundhog Day. All right, one of my favorites. Raise your hand if you've seen the movie Groundhog Day. You're showing your age if you have. All right, several people in here have seen that movie. I mentioned this movie because most people would simply look at Bill Murray's character and say that he's living the same day over and over again. You recognize in that movie, whenever he wakes up in the morning, alarm clock goes off, Sonny and Cher, I got you, babe, every single morning, over and over and over. But some would ask, especially those that consider the movie to be a cult classic, as many do, is there actually more to the story than that? It may have, as some critics have suggested, religious implications, specifically to Jews and Christians. It's loosely based on economic theory. Now, I don't know how you take Groundhog Day and say it's loosely based on economic theory, but a lot of people do. Others will say that it has deep philosophical and existential undertones, that there's something about making things right in our lives in order for the same things to not just continue over and over again. Or maybe it's just a movie about experiencing the same day over and over. I mention this because it's a lot like Ruth. Yes, Groundhog Day is a lot like Ruth. Many view Ruth simply as a love story. And whenever you grew up in church, if you did grow up in church, hearing it in Sunday school, or if you're even vaguely familiar with the story, you think about Ruth and Boaz and the relationship between the two and how wonderful that is. But there's actually what I'm going to argue throughout the next six weeks, a much deeper and more important meaning that's going on within this story. So I want to offer really quickly, actually at the beginning of the week, and I know some of you are not paying attention to everything that we have going on on social media, and that's fine. You have lives, you're busy. But how many of you just in the last week read the book of Ruth? It it takes like 15 minutes. It's like four chapters. Okay, me and about four people. That's wonderful. All right, take the book of Ruth. Read Ruth. Again, 15, 20 minutes. It's an absolutely amazing beautiful book. But spoiler alert, if you haven't read it, I'm going to give you really quickly a summary of the story, but there's still so much that I'm leaving out. So it is worth going back and making sure that you check it out. So this is what is going on in the book of Ruth. Our story opens with a nice Jewish family with a problem. Famine or a food shortage has hit Bethlehem which forces Elimelech, yes, you heard me correctly, and his wife Naomi to move east to Moab with their two sons. They are there for 10 years, 
And in that 10 years, while they're there, their two sons marry foreign women. This is very frowned upon during this time, but they both marry Moabite women. And one by one after this, Elimelech and his two sons die. All right, this happens throughout the course of those 10 years. This leaves Naomi and the two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, who the book's named after. They're in great need of help because these are women that are trying to live in a patriarchal, very male-dominated society in the ancient Near East. So it leaves these women in a difficult situation, and Ruth is convinced after hearing that Israel is improving that she is going to move back to Israel. She begs the girls who are from Moab to stay behind. Okay, stay where you're from. It doesn't make any sense to go with me. There's no longer anything that I can give you. My husband has passed away. Your husbands have passed away. I'm going home. You guys stay here. She begs the girls to stay behind while Orpah is eventually convinced to stay in Moab. Ruth pledges her devotion to Naomi, forsaking her gods. Keep in mind, this is a polytheistic society. Most people believe in a number of gods. To uh, leave her gods and to leave her home behind, and she makes the decision instead that she is going to go to Israel with Naomi. In Bethlehem, things are not good for these ladies for a number of reasons, primarily being that they are, are widows. Naomi is feeling down and out, and Ruth is reduced to gleaning in the barley fields. We're going to get more into this as we move on throughout this series, but this is basically an ancient practice that you see in the Mosaic Law in which people go behind food that's already been distributed in the barley fields, and they collect what's left. The poor were allowed to collect what was left of the food. More about that later. But there, Ruth happens to run into this well-known rich guy named Boaz. And he immediately takes a liking to her for a number of reasons. One being that he knows a little bit about Naomi's story and the past. Ruth and Boaz will end up getting married and Naomi is restored. All right, that's the cliff notes of what's going on. So for the next three weeks, what I want to do is share the beauty of this story through the most beautiful lens possible, and this is the redemptive story of the cross. So today, you're going to hear, I've had several pre, uh, people reach out to me and say, I just love the book of Ruth. I can promise you this, the way that you hear Ruth today is going to be different than any way you've ever heard Ruth before. It's going to be a life-changing, a spirit-moving three weeks for our church. And for some of you, I think, and also people watching online and guests that we have, they're going to look at where they are, and they're going to make the assumption that everything is okay in their lives when a lot of times it's not okay. What others of you are going to be able to do is you're going to be able to look back on the cross because you have foolishly through other activities and things in your life, you've forgotten this redemptive story and what God has done for you. So for you, this is definitely going to be a time of celebration. So what we're going to do today is we're, there's a lot of scripture today. I'm going to go ahead and tell you a lot of scripture. And the scripture today is going to speak much louder than I ever could. In fact, every week it should speak much louder than I'm able to. 
but we're just going to, we're going to go deep into the theology of the cross over the next three weeks, our condition of sinners, and, and some of the things, honestly, that people miss. So Ruth chapter one, if you want to turn there, if you want to look on the screen, that's perfectly fine as well. Ruth chapter one is where we're going to be, and this is what the passage says. During the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. A man with his wife's and with his wife, with his wife and two sons went from Bethlehem and Judah in Judah to dwell in the territory of Moab. The name of the, the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of their two sons, Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem to Judah. They entered the territory of Moab and settled there. But Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Then only she was left along with her two sons. They took wives for themselves, Moabite women. The name of the first was Orpah, and the name of the second was Ruth. And they lived there for about 10 years. But both of the sons, Malon and Chilion, also died. Only the woman was left without her two children and without her husband. Then she arose along with her daughters-in-law to return from the field of Moab because while the territory of Moab she had heard while in the territory of Moab she had heard that the Lord had paid attention to his people by providing food for them. Again, keep in mind there was a famine. Now the famine in Israel is over. She left the place where they had been and her two daughters-in-law went with her. They went along the road to return to the land of Judah. Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws, go turn back, each of you to your household, the household of your mother. May the Lord deal faithfully with you just as you have done with the death, with the dead, and with me. May the Lord provide for you so that you may find security, each woman in the household of her husband. Then she kissed them, lifted up their voices, and wept. But they replied to her, no. Instead, we will return with you to your people. Naomi replied, turn back, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Will there again be sons in my womb that they may be husbands for you? Turn back, my daughters. Go, I'm too old for a husband. And even if I were to say that I have hope, and could have a husband tonight even more. If I were to bear sons, would you wait until they grew up? Basically what she is saying is that if you go with me, you are hopeless the exact same way that I'm hopeless. But if you stay around Moab where you're from, you still have the opportunity to remarry. You still have the opportunity to have children of your own. You still have the opportunity to make something of your life. Because if you go with me, it's certain fatality. If you go with me, it's certain death. No, my daughters, this is far bitter, more bitter for me than for you since the Lord's will has come out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Orpah, who apparently came to her senses, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth stayed with her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is returning to her people and to her gods. Turn back with your sister-in-law, go back. It's the logical thing to do. God rarely ever does logical things. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to abandon you, to turn back from following after you. 
Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God. This is a really big deal, by the way. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do this with me, and more so in the, even if death separates me from you. When Naomi saw Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her about it. She's like, I'm not going to be able to craze, change this crazy woman's mind. All right, she's going with me. She's made up her mind. She's determined. She's going to go back to Bethlehem. So both of them went along, and they arrived in Bethlehem. When they arrived at Bethlehem, the whole town was excited on account of them. And the women of the town asked, can this really be Naomi? Naomi's been gone for 10 years. When she left, she had a husband and two sons. Can this really be Naomi returning? She replied to them, don't call me Naomi, but call me Mara, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full. Life was good, but the Lord has returned me empty. Why would you call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has deemed me guilty? Thus Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, returned with her from the territory of Moab. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley season. So what is it that we see in this story today that is clearly part of this story and important for us to learn? And where are the parallels that we are going to start seeing today, but also see the next couple weeks as well? First, notice this. Naomi faces a hopeless future. All right, you may say, well, she just needs to look on the, on the bright side of things. She just needs to, to take those lemons and make Lemonade. She needs to turn that frown upside down. She needs to look at things in a more positive way. No, hopeless, completely hopeless. And we'll talk about this hopelessness just a little bit more in a minute. But what we can do with our gospel comparison is we can compare this to the reality of sin. A few observations that we must consider. In Naomi, we see what a lot of scholars call a female Job. Some have even suggested that she has life worse than Job because with everything that Job lost, Job was still a man in a patriarchal society. Job still had the ability during this period of time to start over. Naomi did not have the ability to start over. She has endured famine. She's living life as a refugee, an older widow in a patriarchal society. Listen to this. Unprotected widows are targets during this society for abuse by other men, exploitation or being taken advantage of, trafficking sexually, and assault or being beaten. Naomi is completely at the bottom of the social ladder. Think Indians today in India, the untouchables, the bottom caste. There is no hope whatsoever for this woman as she returns to her country. Now, we don't like to talk about it, and we avoid it in modern spiritual language. But this desperation is comparable to our reality 
as sinners. What we call this theologically is total depravity. And what that means is that you, and I know some of you don't want to tell yourselves this, and the majority of people outside of the church do not want to tell themselves. In fact, a lot of people are very, very uncomfortable using the word sin. In the state that you are in apart from Christ, in the state that you are in apart from the cross, you are completely hopeless in every single way. Some of you try to tell yourself, well, I'm a pretty good person. And I really try hard. And, you know, I really don't want to beat myself up too bad. And the issue is that so many people today do not start in this place as recognizing the reality that we are sinners. Romans 3.23 says this, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. All have sinned, not Matt the drunk, or so-and-so the mean person, or so-and-so the abusive parent. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. So the state that we are in before Christ is completely and utterly hopeless. And this is what some of you are telling yourself. If I can just go to church once or twice a month, maybe if I give a little bit, maybe if I serve, you still haven't dealt with your condition. You still haven't dealt with your hopelessness. Naomi had no hope whatsoever. And this is the place that we find ourselves in as well. John, uh, 1 John 1, 1.8 says this, if we claim, because this is where a lot of people are, you can call me a sinner if you want to. Y'all can believe that religious junk if you want to, but I'm not going to believe it. That's not for me. You're not going to tell me that I'm not a good person. 1 John 1, 8, if we claim that we don't have any sin, as a lot of people do, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay, so as you hear a lot of people in society say, sin, ooh, gross, I'm just, I, I don't use that word. Are you like one of those religious people? I'm not going to talk that way, I'm sorry. If we say no, that, that there is no sin in us, we don't even have the ability to be truthful. That is how real sin is. And that is how real the condition is. And there are so many people that just, I'm going to live my life my way. I'm going to try to be a good person. But let's not talk about that real scary three-letter word called sin. And what that means is that there are implications that, that suggest the truth is not even in us. Now listen at Romans um, 8.17, because this is the way I feel often. I know that good doesn't live in me, that is in my body. The desire to do good is inside of me. I just can't carry it out. That's what a lot of translations say. This one says, but I can't do it. So listen, here's where we are as sinners. And this is where we hit ourselves up against the wall hard and hard all the time before we accept Christ. I want to be good. I want to do good. I really want to be the dad that I'm supposed to. I really want to be the friend that I'm supposed to. I really want to be able to do these things. I want to do it. But here's the thing. You can't carry it out. You cannot carry it out. You know, we have a gospel today without sin. We have a gospel without the discussion of these things. The issues that we find in our lives, the hard time, you know what, I can figure this out. I can do it. Never taking God into consideration, and then what do we see? We blow up and get angry. We find ourselves frustrated. 
We feel like we're trying to use so much energy to be good. We never release it to the power of God. But we find ourselves, I can tell you for years, being so tired and so exhausted and maybe having four or five days where I seem like a halfway decent person only to find that I have the same struggles and the same things are present again and again. And you tell yourself, and this is the starting point of salvation. This is the starting point of following Jesus. This is the starting point of life in Christ. I know that good doesn't live in me. And some of you still can't tell yourself that. You're unable to tell yourself because you believe in this, this secular humanism, this 21st century view in America that really starts in the 20th century, that I'm okay. You know, if God kind of wants to come in, if God kind of wants to partner, if God wants to kind of be a part of this thing, that's okay. But at the, at the root of things, I might sometimes be a little testy. I might gossip a little bit. I might watch some things I'm not supposed to. I, I really didn't talk to her that well in traffic. I didn't have, kind of got this issue. But 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 it's not that there's no good in me. No, total depravity, total depravity. You are nothing. Your righteousness is, is filthy rags. And if you don't start there, you're in trouble. Naomi finds herself in a completely desperate situation. All of the cards in society are stacked against her. And the same is true. For us as sinners, we believe that we are presentable before God. We believe one day we are going to go to heaven and we're just going to kind of slide right in the door. And that's just not what scripture tells us. Please hear me. Without the cross of Christ, without the redemption of the blood of Jesus, without an acknowledgement of your sinful condition and making the decision to walk away from that. You're not only struggling, you're not only lost, you are hopeless. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how wonderful of a grandparent you may be. I don't care how many charitable organizations that you give to. See, this is not about good and bad. It's about the reality of sin because some of us are better people than others. It's just a fact, just by nature. Some of us are better than others. But we're talking about the reality of sin that there are people in this room that I feel deep conviction about has still never started to look at that place. So in her desperation, and we must recognize our desperation, all right? Because some of you are in here, I don't know, I'm not sure I buy into all this. I'm just not sure you're not desperate enough yet and you're never going to come to Jesus. You see, there are people that I hoped would be here this morning, and they're not here. There are people that I pray for on a regular basis, and I don't know where that prayer is necessarily going. Nothing is going to change, and I can't change anybody. And nothing is going to change in an individual's life until the Holy Spirit brings about that desperation in which it's God or bust. There is nothing else that's going to be good enough, and you know that you have nowhere else to look where do we find this old widow, the bottom of the social ladder? And that's where we are spiritually as sinners. We are at the complete bottom. So, so in her desperation, Naomi recognizes this. And that's what sinners have to do. She recognizes this, and she recognizes it by giving it a name. She replied to them, 
don't call me Naomi. And you know what Naomi means? Does anybody happen to know what Naomi means? I think I heard something. It means pleasant. Like to be pleasant. Think about something pleasant. Think about whenever you encounter something that is pleasant. Just how wonderful and amazing it is. You look at it, and a lot of us don't use that word anymore, but you think, well, that's pleasant. That's nice. You, you, the, the word gentle comes to mind when I think about something that is pleasant. Don't call me, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me good. Don't call me gentle. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. So she goes from, people used to call me pleasant, and now they call me bitter because I've been through it. Hebrew is so important as far as names. I went away full. I was full. Everything was wonderful. But the Lord has returned me empty. Some of you in here, you could testify in this very moment when the Lord returned you empty and you turned, every, you turned everything over to him. Why would you call me Naomi when I've returned empty? Why would you call me Naomi when the, when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has deemed me guilty? So here's what is going on. Naomi recognizes the depth of her problem and the issues surrounding the circumstances in her life. Now, I mention this for a reason. So many people across the world, all right, and we could even say across this town, especially as Christianity kind of starts to grow into something that a lot of us don't even recognize because it's not Christianity, all right? But people want to come to God, and they want to talk to God, and they want to have a relationship with God without first recognizing their desperate condition as sinners. Some of you in here are married. And this is the most important thing that I could tell you about marriage and premarital counseling and also my own marriage as an example, uh, which Beth would agree is far from perfect. But the foundation of any good marriage must be telling one another the truth. Honesty and loyalty must be the foundation because you hear about people having secrets, but it seems like they have a wonderful life. If your foundation is not built upon truth, if your foundation is not built upon loyalty, everything above it is false. If you are in a relationship with God, or you are seeking a relationship with God as we understand God here. And the basis of that relationship is not your condition as a sinner. If the basis of that relationship is not your understanding of a need for repentance, and I'm not talking about just the repentance in the moment of salvation or conversion. I'm talking about regular repentance, regular turning away. And if you can look at your life right now and you call yourself a believer and your life looks a lot like it did six months ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, there are some questions that you need to be asking yourself. Acts 3.19 says this, change your hearts and lives. Change your hearts and lives. That's radical. That's not go buy a cheaper car. That's not have more children. That's not go to this college. Change your hearts and lives. Turn 
back to God so that these sins that we are talking about may be wiped away forever. 1 John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins, if we truly come forward and confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from everything that we've done wrong. You see, there are those of you that are in here that are listening right now, that will hear the podcast later, and you're trying to trust God, but you've not been cleansed because you've never repented. You've never taken that starting place. And I'm going to tell you what this looks like for the addict, for the bad husband, for the person that refuses to forgive, uh, for the bad mother, for the bad coworker. This is what this looks like. God, I do not like my behavior. And I'm starting to become a little sickened by it. And I know that I can't be right with you and continue to be this way. So I'm asking today for you to forgive me. And it's my desire to turn away from those websites to turn away from the way that I'm, I'm, I'm treating my wife, from the way that I'm just spending out of control, for the lack of trust that I have in you, for my desire just to skip church and do whatever I want to do and just make everything in life about me. And then whenever you get up, if you're, if you're kneeling, you leave it, and you leave it behind. And we are full of churches that have, that, that's, that's foreign, that have absolutely no idea what that means. And this is where we are supposed to be. Our mission at Believer's Church is to help broken people become devoted followers of Jesus. Broken people must come to a place of repentance. This is the thing about this church. Like you can come in the way that you are and we are going to love you, but we want you to leave differently. We want you to experience the cure, not tell you everything's going to be okay and coddle you and put your arms. That may be the way it is in the beginning, but our desire is healing, is for you to be one in Jesus and not simply play the religious games. So I want us to think about closing today in a positive way, all right? Because we've talked about this reality of sin and how people, they just, they don't want to touch it because it's an ugly word. And it's amazing what people will talk about in culture today, the lifestyles that we'll talk about, the acts that we'll talk about, the things that we'll talk about. But when sin's brought up, it's like this super scary, loaded, dark, deadly word. And that's where we are right now. I want you to hear this. Ruth remains loyal in the face of adversity. We can compare this to how God pursues us.
Ruth is loyal. And she stays loyal. And we can compare this to how God pursues us. Remember a couple of weeks ago, whenever we talked about the lost sheep, it's a lot like that. This is what we get in verses 14 through 16. Then they lifted up their voices and they wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. Orpah's like, I love you, but I am out. You know, you gave me, you gave me a couple ch- chances, you know, to walk back. I, I'm going back. But listen at this. And remember this. Mark this in your Bible. Remember this. Ruth stayed. Orpah left. Sometimes your friends will leave. Sometimes your spouses can't understand. Sometimes your friends just can't go there. But Ruth stayed. God stays. God always stays. Ruth stayed with her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is returning to her people and to her gods. Life's going to be good. Turn back after your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to abandon you. It's clear that you need me. Don't urge me to abandon you, to turn back from following after you. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. To repeat something from earlier, in Naomi, we see a female Job. Complete loss, endures famine, Life is a refugee in Moab, an older widow in a patriarchal society. Unprotected widows are targets for abuse, exploitation, trafficking, and assault. Naomi is at the bottom of the social ladder. And some of you today feel that you are at the bottom. And some people would even use the kind of language that would suggest that God has left them. She begs, Naomi begs Ruth and Orpah to leave her. Orpah does. But here are Ruth's words, and I hear these echoing through Christ in our darkest moments through eternity. You're struggling with anger. You don't know what to do about this situation at work. You've depleted all your resources. You've tried your best to be good. You've tried your best to do these things. And you're so tired. This is what he says. Don't urge me to abandon you. Where you go, I'm going to go. You feel broken, you feel messed up, you've been wounded, you're damaged. The things that that person did to you when you were a child are inexcusable. But I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. John 14, 18, if you need a parallel, Jesus says, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Doesn't matter where you are. And you're not going to get that offer anywhere else. There is no other religion. There is no other social movement. There is no other way of life. that is ever going to offer this to you. And what keeps my heart beating in my broken, 
messed up self are words like this. Colossians 1, 13 through 14, he rescued us from the control of darkness and transferred us. He moved us into the kingdom of his son he loves. He set us free through the son and he forgave our sins. Romans 8, 1 and 2. So now there isn't any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have a rough past. You had horrible parents. You followed some of that yourself and you made some mistakes and you're bitter and you're angry and you're upset. There is no condemnation. It's forgotten. For those who are in Christ Jesus, the law, the spirit of life, Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death forever. So I want you to know that this invitation is open to you today. And as we close very soon, there are some of you in here that need Jesus. You think you have Jesus and you don't have Jesus. You need Jesus. There are some people watching online today. There are people that are going to listen to the podcast later that need this relationship. And there are others of you in here right now. And you're thinking, how stubborn have I been to abandon my first love? Restore the joy of my salvation today. Because this is this real. And what does Jesus say? Does he say clean up? Does he say get yourself straightened out? No, he says come as you are. Tired, broken, empty, miserable, depressed, mean, afflicted, unloving, bitter, lonely, come to drink from the well of living water. That never runs dry and never runs out. There's some of you in here that believe you'll never be good enough. Even if you pray some kind of prayer, or even if you make some kind of commitment with your life, you're just never going to be good enough. What Christ did on the cross will always be good enough. And then there are others of you that are in here today and you believe you're good enough on your own. You're okay. And this is what I would tell you. There are no good deeds or nice things or loving gestures that you can do to change the reality of sin. There is only one answer. And there's one more passage I will share. Romans 3, 23 through the beginning of verse 25. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. But all are treated as righteous freely without cost to you by His grace. Because of a ransom that was paid by Jesus Christ. Through His faithfulness, through his intentionality, through his unwillingness to abandon you in the same way that Ruth did to her mother-in-law. God displayed Jesus as the place 
of sacrifice where mercy is found by the means of his blood. What I'm going to do this morning, I'd like to ask everyone to go ahead and stand and the band can go ahead and come up. I'm going to pray and if you need to uh, come to this altar and pray uh, this morning, I want you to invite you uh, to do that here in just a minute. If you just need to say thank you, if you need to praise this way maker, this wonderful father, I want you to come here and be able to do that. I want you to be able to lift your hands in praise. I want us to be able to worship and say thank you. But I also know that the power of the Holy Spirit is moving. And as difficult as it may be for some of you, I'm, I'm going to be standing right here. I firmly believe that today is the day of salvation. And if you know that that commitment has never been made or you've never really followed it out in turning everything, I don't, I don't believe in an in-between. Okay, Scripture calls that lukewarm. I don't believe in an in-between. But if you are ready to turn your life over to Jesus, everything will change. Father, we lift you up and we praise you. We thank you so much for uh, continuing to take care of Believer's Church. God, I pray right now uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit that if there is anyone in here that does not know you today, Father, that whatever keeps them holding on, Father, uh, to their seat or keeps them mobile, God, I pray that you do not let them out of this place today until they've experienced the redemption and the fullness of Jesus. We pray that your spirit descend upon this place because of the truth of the gospel and because of the truth that we live by every single day, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is in Lord. Father, move our feet, move us to this altar. Father, make us hungry for a deeper experience with you. Father, help us to be able internally to shout within our insides, I am a sinner in need of the grace of God. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.